Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. Winning Is Not Everything recently surpassed a milestone. So why was this intro the hardest one I've written yet? Stick around to find out. TeamSnap is the presenting sponsor of the Winning Is Not Everything podcast. Start your 2024 sports season off right. The TeamSnap for Teams app provides the tools you need to manage your team with ease. This includes the all-new fundraising feature, which makes raising money for new equipment or your next tournament simple, built right into the TeamSnap app. Or maybe you run a full league. From registration to scheduling to helping you build your club's website, TeamSnap for Business has the tools to take your programs to the next level. Learn more about all of TeamSnap's solutions at TeamSnap.com. In the world of podcasting, it appears 200 is an important number. According to one study conducted by Improve Podcasts, 53% of quote-unquote successful podcasts top 200 episodes. Naturally, this process hasn't been easy with challenges abound. Yet I'm proud to have persevered and I'm thankful for those who've joined me in this journey. From each and every guest to each and every listener, as well as my remarkable sound engineer and editing whiz, Mike Graff. As I reflected on what to say on this occasion though, I was inspired by one of the more famous quotes from Nick Saban, the University of Alabama football coach who recently announced his retirement. It's hard to argue Coach Saban's track record of success, given his six national titles at Alabama. But I was struck by an anecdote on LinkedIn from a scout team receiver who highlighted how Saban's inspiring lessons shaped his life on and off the field. And one of my favorite Sabanisms is called the illusion of choice. Check it out. You know, these guys, they all think they have this illusion of choice. Like I can do whatever I want to do. And we kind of have a younger generation now that doesn't always get told no. Uh, they don't always get told this is exactly how you need to do it. So they have this illusion that they have all these choices. But the fact of the matter is, is if you want to be good, you really don't have a lot of choices because it takes what it takes. You have to do what you have to do to be successful. So you have to make the choices and decisions to have the discipline and the focus to the process of what you need to do to accomplish your goals. And all these guys that think they have a lot of choices are really, you know, sort of sadly mistaken. And I think as we all have done with our own children, they learn these lessons of life as they get older. And sometimes the best way to learn is from the mistakes that you make, even though we all hate to see them have to make them. There is a process and discipline required to producing a podcast episode every single week. Sure, I've developed some efficiencies, but there's still a lot of research that goes into every interview. Lots of no's or ignored emails and texts for a few yeses. And tons of editing by me and Mike to ensure each episode shines. This leads me into the hard part of this script, where I have to talk about part four of my conversation with the brilliant Tom Beyer. You see, I dreaded writing this particular intro because Tom deeply challenged me. In American, Tom built his reputation in Japan, where his no-holds-barred approach to technical development have been embraced to the point that he was featured on national TV every day, as well as in comics and videos. 
At the core of his philosophy is that parents must foster a love affair between a child and a ball. How young, you ask? Well, I want you to keep listening because we'll talk about the specifics in this episode. But Tom's perspective defies the convention in the United States, and it's perhaps most telling for why few American players are among the world's elite players. Though Bayer hasn't been embraced in the U.S., it's hard to discount some high-profile leaders in this country who have embraced him. From legendary University of North Carolina women's soccer coach Anson Dorrance to Dr. John Rady, an internationally acclaimed expert in neuropsychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Personally, I'm torn. I was born in South Korea and I came to the U.S. at six years old. I grew up playing multiple sports and I believe that was a good thing. And though I loved basketball, soccer, and even football, I ended up coaching soccer and I've grown more uncomfortable with this reality. The best player simply cannot go months without touching a ball. I knew this from personal experience. When I was 14 years old, I felt a bit burnt out with soccer. After moving, I knew this from personal experience. When I was 14 years old, I felt burnt out after moving and I took a season off from soccer. But when I returned, I simply wasn't the same player, possessing an inferior ability to dribble the ball, deliver the delicate, clever passes, and lastly, an ability to shoot the ball on frame with power. I was shifted from winger and attacker to central defender, where my aerial skills and knack for blasting the ball downfield on goal kicks and transition passes were appreciated by my coaches. I don't want to get off topic on specialization, but I have come to respect Tom's insights and I'm in the process of rethinking my own values and methodology for technical development as a coach. And guess what? I'm thankful to Tom because I never want to settle. I never want to feel that as a coach, I've arrived. That success my way includes an etched in stone formation, practice plan, and substitution pattern. So as we start part four, with Tom Beyer, I encourage you to be open-minded. And whether you change your mind or not, you'll be better for challenging your own ideas and expectations. Let's get to it. I'd love your perspective on this because I, I really have a hard time reconciling how I feel about this. Again, I grew up playing multiple sports. Pushing multi-sports here in the United States is a, is a big thing. But the longer I coach soccer, the more ridiculous it seems that if you have aspirations to play soccer at a high level, whether it's high club level or you want to play beyond high school, I don't think you can take six months off from touching a ball, you know, and, and, and it's because using our feet is not natural, right? We use our hands every day, right? Brushing our teeth, eating food, all those things. What do you really use your feet for other than walking and maybe running, right? And so to train your feet to do something exceptional, right? To be able to play this game of football at a high level, it takes a lot of work to sort of train your mind and your body to do that. And so what are your thoughts on multi-sport? Because we really don't see that. I mean, how often do you see an elite soccer player who came from football, right? We see it all the time in other sports, right? Basketball players become football players, become baseball players and vice versa. But I really cannot think of the last great soccer player that came from a different sport. Because it doesn't usually happen. If it does, they're an outlier. It's a very hotly debated topic, depending upon mm -hmm. who's in the room. The reality is the verdict is not out on either side. 
there's nobody that can really make a good argument for either side of the specialization is good or bad. Because I listen to all the experts and there's a couple of really, really people that I respect that have debated this topic. But you're right. I mean, football is a sport. And so I'm, I'm saying it's unique to soccer. I'm not. This is not begrudging other sports, but it, to soccer, it's very unique. And, and here's why, because I understand the neuroscience behind it. Right. And the reality is that the feet are the furthest distance from the, the brain. So we rarely have any opportunity to build those neural pathways. There's a saying, there's a there's what's called Hebb's law in neuroscience. And that says, states this nerve cells that fire together, they wire together to make a network. Now, when you understand a neural pathway, okay, I've got my charging cord right here. This white plastic is the insulation that basically protects the wire copper upon which the signal travels against. So this is a neural pathway, okay? The white plastic is what's called myelin, okay? The copper would be the actual nerve fiber that the message from the brain of the feet travels along now. Now, here's the kicker, and it's all in my presentation. If I can show you the presentation, you'll see the visual, right? The only way to make the thicker myelin, the stronger outside insular, is through repetition. Why is that mm. important? Because myelin, the stronger or the thicker the layers are of myelin, the faster the message travels along the neural pathway. How do you build or develop thick, strong rings of myelin? Repetition. That's why these guys who argue about isolated training, they don't know what they're talking about. They think that isolated training is useless for skill development. But the reality is that unless you are constantly firing and wiring that neural network, you will not develop that neural pathway where it's strong enough. Now, here's another one. Here's another one. When a child, and this is the whole crux of our philosophy and the methodology, when a little two, three-year-old is focusing on bull mastery. What that's doing is, and think about it, bull mastery for a three-year-old, that's a three-year-old who's trying to control an object with their feet. It's a ball. But what happens is that's a mental task. So the effort to control an object, the ball, with the feet is a mental task. But the actual movement is a physical task. Now, here it is. Here's Neuroscience 101. When you marry together, a mental task with a physical task, that's thinking, that's feeling, that's mind and body together. The cerebellum, which is the seat of the unconscious, subconscious mind, with regardless whether it's a mental task or a physical task, it's all stored in the cerebellum and what's called the non-declared memory. What that allows is, it allows the cerebellum to create a chemical signature of that experience, which is emotions. So when you create an emotionally charged environment, that's when deep learning and long-term memory takes place. So emotions, now the neuroscience believes emotions is the on switch for learning. And that shared experience between child and parent, which is social, that supercharges learning. The biggest thing that a parent can understand, when I do my talks to parents for an hour, no matter how long this is, the biggest takeaway I tell them, if there's anything that you remember out of my whole talk, it's this. A parent's understanding of their child's constant need for attention, approval, and praise. And what that does is it creates that chemical electrical process in the child, emotional connection, where deep learning and long-term memory takes place. So I had inadvertently set up my living room to be this supercharged laboratory that I didn't even understand until I started working with a guy like Dr. John Rady. Or when Stanford University 
Stanford University came to me and we went over to China to the Stanford Center at Peking University. And I designed a research for project for 80 little five-year-olds out in a remote village in Chengdu and we researched it. So again, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but I'm passionate about it because I've done it. I see it. I understand it now. And most coaches don't understand how skill development happens. They think they don't fall. No, if you're constantly breaking that firing and wiring of the neural pathway, those skills, and when a child doesn't pay complete focused in, think about this. When a two, three, four-year-old can learn focus attention, when they can learn how to pay attention, they're learning how to learn. They learn how to turn the on switch on for learning. And that's why Dr. Rady, in my book, he wrote and he supposed that he believed that ball mastery could impact cognition, social skills, no. emotional skills, physical skills, improve mathematics and reading. We proved it in the laboratory, wow. in our space. So that's yeah. why I'm feeling like wow. I'm on a different frequency yeah. because when I deal with these coaches now and I feel like, you know, I'm the smartest guy in the room, which I shouldn't be. But the good news is, there's a good news, and then I'll, I'll come up for air, is that I'm being brought in to learn from constantly, right? But I'm secretly learning from everybody else. And the biggest learning curve I had was during the pandemic when I was sitting and I had to convince all of the highly educated people from the Houston Department of Education, KIPS charter schools, all 17 school districts. I'm sitting with guys and women that have multiple PhDs in learning and in teaching. And I could learn so much feedback from doing our research project that now, and I just came back from MLS headquarters a couple several weeks ago. We've got an opportunity now to basically connect more dots to education because that's a hot topic in the United States for parents and for everybody. What's one message that you have for youth sports parents today? Yeah, well, again, in particular, if I'm talking about soccer, it's, you know, the early start and trying to get your child off to a head start. It's easy. When you look at kids that do well academically, you're going to find a culture at home that values education. So regardless of either whether it's soccer or whatever it is, you got to let every sport has a unique set of basic building blocks. So regardless of what that is, whether it's tennis, whether you want to be a basketball player, baseball, whatever it is, in soccer, it's the techniques, right? It's stopping, starting, ball mastery. So if you're a parent and you've got a young child, I would say try to get them that head start like you would in England. I mean, everybody knows in education now, the kids, I mean, it's documented. If you don't go to preschool, you're behind. There's just, just, they've got all the statistics, everything, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing in sports. It's just that it hasn't been as obvious and it hasn't been so remarkable that people have pointed people in that direction. But that's what my advice would be to parents is try to get your kid to at least have some level of competency before just dropping them off at their first practice, regardless of what the sport is. Love it. Last question for you. What's one message you have for young kids who look up to somebody like Tom Meyer? Well, follow your passion. I had an interview a couple of years ago and they asked me, what's your core philosophy for your business or what are your core values? And I sat there and I thought, well, nobody's really quite an answer. Here it is, kids. Here it is. Everything I've done in my soccer career that I got paid to do, I would have done anyway for free. 
And I'll tell you how. So if someone came to me and said, hey, Bob Meyer, we're going to put you on national TV every single day with a 5 million household watching every morning, but we got no money to do it. I'd say, yep, sign me up. Let me go do it. Or if they told me that I was going to have best-selling VHS videos or DVDs, but we couldn't pay you to do it, I would have done it. So follow what you love to do. You know, you hear it all the time of like, you know, follow you, but, but it's true. You have to do something and find something that you're so energized and you're so passionate about. Every time I do an interview or I do a presentation, I do it with the same intense passion that if it was a taxi driver or it was the president of FIFA. That's the reality of it. So if you can find something like that and chase it, you're going to have a, a wonderful life, hopefully. Tom, I had so much fun talking to you. I learned so much. I, I enjoyed the discourse that we had. So thank you so much for your time and just looking forward to sharing this with everybody else. Yeah, no, thank you. And great uh, line of questions. I do do this often. And this was a very interesting discussion. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any questions or comments, please visit my website, seankjensen.com and go to the contact page. You can even leave me a voice recording. And of course, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap. Whether you're coaching a team or running a full club or league, TeamSnap has the solutions and the technology to keep you organized this year. Until next time, I'm Sean Jensen. Yeah.